This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest of my podcast today is Arnold Henneville Wetholm, author of How Hard Can It Be? People have a lot of ideas. Yeah. Constantly, I guess that's what we do as, as humans. We have plenty of ideas, but ideas are cheap. What matters is is execution. And unless you execute, and how long can you execute once you've decided that you are someone who indeed executes? You know, how long can you go? How far can you go? People start companies, but they all drop, you know, along the way, people drop, people drop, people drop, and they stand on that shelf as a souvenir of, you know, what, you know, startups that, that tried and, and did not go all the way through. This is Arnaud. He's a consultant, lecturer, and head of sales and business development at Globy. He's also the founder of multiple startups, including Internal Desk, a SaaS platform for enterprise collaboration where he serves as a COO. He's passionate about entrepreneurship, neuroscience, resilience, and making the world a better place. He works on projects that he believes in with people that go for it. He finishes everything he starts. He trains like there is no tomorrow and he enjoys the now and looks forward to the journey. He goes by the mantra, get comfortable being uncomfortable. And that is no understatement. In his book, How Hard Can It Be? He explained his personal journey in building up a startup that got founded around the big idea to take down Facebook. The book is a jet-setting parable of the European startup scene that takes on the most elusive business topics of them all, failure. And that inspired me. And hence I invited Arna to my podcast. We explore the journey that he and his team went through with their startup, the pivots that were required, and the commercial, financial, and emotional challenges that this brought along. We pinpoint the critical ingredients to getting right from a solution perspective to create virality, stickiness, and growth that's sustainable. Last but not least, he addresses what to be prepared for as a founder and how and why to embrace failure as a hidden gem. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, that having a product that is functionally rich and technically scalable is only half the battle. Business model scalability, that's the other one. Secondly, that the best thing you can do for your company is to demonstrate persistence in sticking to the one thing that you're after. 
don't pivot too early. Thirdly, that a ground principle of creating something remarkable is to focus on doing something utterly different and not just better. And fourthly, why you need to be persistent in finding problems that are mission critical, not just nice to have. Well, hi Arnaud. Thank you for making the time available today and share the story of yeah, the startup startup. No, it's a startup, but all the pivots that you've been doing from it. Well, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. So I look forward to this conversation. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it as well. And people that are, yeah, are trying to get a guess what this is all about. It's, this is about a book. It's called How Hard Can It Be? And it's about a software startup and the journey of failure and, and getting up and failure and falling back and getting up and etc. There's It's full of yeah, really, really valuable anecdotes. And I, I love reading the book. Actually, now that I got you on the podcast, I know that I, I think that I know you already much better than I do any of my guests, but let's get going through this. So your book is about really putting on paper what it's like yeah, to try and create something super meaningful, but not succeeding with it after five or six years in total. Yes, indeed. Six yeah. years, a little bit over six years, actually, from, from the yeah. ideation and coming up with the concept to actually shutting it down over six years um, yeah it's brave in itself you know i mean i know not a lot of entrepreneurs that a lot of entrepreneurs say yeah, failure is something that we see as a gift and failure is something that we applaud for because we can learn from it but there's not a lot of people that put it on paper because their, their, their company just didn't succeed exactly and that's precisely why i chose to wrote this and it was not it's not that it wasn't easy because i'm very comfortable with it and i we can go through why but yeah. that's the real purpose the you know i've been in an in entrepreneur settings, entrepreneurship settings and startups for some time now. And it appears that most journeys, although they are unique, they are very similar. I mean, there's, you have to do sort of the same thing when you start up a company from, you know, coming up with an idea to creating a team to having you know, a bigger purpose than, than yourself to yeah. you know, designing that product and coding it and making it happen and getting your first customer and raising money. And I mean, the journey in itself is similar, regardless of what you sell, regardless of the market you're after, of the industry in which you operate. It's the same stuff. The learnings of what may happen during that journey, I think are very, you know, you can leverage them for your own journey. And that's why I chose to write the book it's because this is this is the book i would love to have read prior to me starting it would have given yeah. me a big head start yeah i can imagine i mean the statistics are still so overwhelming if you look at it you know it's like six six well, between 70 and 90 percent of startups will fail they say totally so i went through the stats these are the numbers i mean nine out of ten will fail and so my take on this was, well, we, we've been pitched success. I mean, everywhere you look at, you see success, whether it's your Instagram feed or billboard, you are always sold success. And I get it. It's way more sexy than selling you failure. But we, at the same time, we all recognize that it's in the deeps that we learn. I mean, we, we learn from adversity. We learn from being able to get up when we've been flat out. So my take is, well, if the, the stats are what they are, nine out of 10 actually fail, 
by being shown constant stories of success, maybe the answer is not in showing success, but rather in showing failures, or at least in showing lessons from failures. And I thought, I looked around, I couldn't find that book. So I thought, I'm going to write this, because again, those journeys are very similar. And with that book, hopefully, you can get yourself up to speed faster and, and, and get to your success that you deserve way faster than I've been yeah. able to do that. Yeah, yeah interesting. And uh, thumbs up for doing this. But let's sort of like wind back the whole thing because sure. I mean, in the book, you go through various phases. It's like three big pivots. Uh-huh. First, trying to kind of go big in a B2C market, then pivoting to B2B, and then pivoting another time to another flavor of B2B. Whereby the funny thing is that in the first version, you tried to really attack Facebook. Right. And in the other version, you were being attacked by Facebook. <laughs> but just to kind of start on that, and I want to understand like what was the big idea behind your company. Because when you, for example, when I, when I read the first chapter, you really described the situation of launching that first version. And it goes live after waiting for hours and hours for people to fix that last type of bugs. And then you see the numbers go up and you do 45 users per minute. And then you get journalists writing about it. They're positioning you as the next big thing. Right. Like, what was this about? Yeah. So the idea initially is to take down Facebook, hence, hence the title, you know, lessons learned from, from trying but failing to take down Facebook. And the big idea was that, so my, my co-founder and I were working in uh, change management. We're, we're a consultant here in Stockholm, in Sweden, doing change. And we, as you know, behavioral specialists, we could not understand why people would spend their time on Facebook scrolling through kilometers of nonsense. We, we couldn't understand this. Why, why would someone do that? And what was the whole pleasure of doing that? And, you know, what would people take away from this? Yeah. So we were getting frustrated as per the, you know, the behavioral aspect of it. And we thought that, okay, is, is the world going dumber or do we, do we need to do something about this? And we, we thought we, we had the, you know, the stamina, the energy, the passion to try to fix it. So we, we thought that instead of engaging, yeah, quote unquote, people by means of likes, we would create a platform that would try to engage people in the real world. So let's go back to do some things for real. Like yeah. if you, you know, commit yourself to do something with your time instead of just sitting in a sofa and pressing a like button. So that was the core idea. How can we get people off, you know, out of their couches back into the real world? And the mechanism to do that was a challenge. So we would challenge people to do something and they would challenge themselves to do something, most likely something that always wanted to do, like, you know, start running or lose weight or grow a mustache for November or yeah. whatever the case may be. And the challenge mechanism would allow the viral effect. So we, we would have built into the model, built into the platform, a way of getting us- users for free because I would challenge couple of my friends, they would challenge their friends and so forth. So quickly, we could exponentially grow. And that's yeah. kind of what happened. So people joined, they signed up, they started creating challenges for themselves and towards others. But then what we learned is that it didn't really go to, to the plan. 
Yeah, I mean, I saw that. I mean, that's like, and I really like that phrase that you used in the book. You were going to create the anti-couch potato network. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, it's, it's indeed you see that started and you have the impressive numbers of 45 users per minute and that kept going and going and going but then you really hit a couple of pretty interesting challenges that you possibly couldn't even foresee you know it's, it's maybe in the scale of the platform itself like because of all the things that people are sharing i really like that example that you had in there that there were some really unethical challenges being put up by, by giving people a challenge to be in a, in a lion's cage right yeah and what I mean, if you see that develop, what does that do to you? And I mean, how do you, I mean, talking about agile and being flexible as a startup, yeah. how do you go about it? Yeah, when we started to see those challenges, that was rough because on the one hand, you can say that, you know, all publicity is, is good publicity, that no matter what happens, you know, people will talk about us and we've got some, some guys in a, in a zoo trying to do some, some stupid things. So sort of a jackass kind of, of challenges. Exactly. But as you start digging, and this, this has to happen really quick because we don't have the luxury of time to allow that challenge to be live and, and you know, things bad to happen. So we have to make quick decisions and start looking at the, you know, the legal aspect of it and the potential lawsuit that we could get if someone would be injured or you know, killed. Or, and of course, we don't want to be associated with that. So suddenly we have, you know, the lawyers and drafting documents to sort of protect the company and us personally in case of, of something going really south. So that was a scary moment for sure, but we somehow navigated it yeah, properly, I think, and sort of cleared those challenges before they would go live. Exactly. I mean, this, the, the book is full of examples of, of all the things that you then suddenly see that are happening that couldn't even believe having happening. One of the things, of course, that's that's a big thing for startups. You were part of a change management consultancy company. Then you decide, okay, let's let's do this in our free time. And at some point, we're just going to cut it and, and do it. But then, of course, other aspects come in, like runway and funding. I really like that whole story of like trying to become part of the, one of the most prestigious VCs out there, this thing you talk about. What did you learn from that process? Because these guys are like, yeah, it's almost like building a waiting list there. Oh, yeah, totally. So this is, I mean, today, actually, a couple of weeks ago, they've won the most successful tech incubator in the world. So I'm not sure of the criteria, but they've gotten some really nice recognition. Yeah. So it's, it's equivalent to the Y Combinator out there. So we wanted to get there because we thought that would be like a stamp of quality of, I mean, you always look for external affirmation. Sure. So we thought that this would help us, you know, get angel money, start to get funding, and we needed coaching. You know, we had not done that before. So we would take any assistance we could get along the way and the network that goes with it. And so the first time we pitched, we were actually refused because, well, we didn't have a tech background and we were trying to, you know, aim at Facebook, which is a rough one. And we didn't have a team that was, you know, competent to doing that. So in spite of all of our, you know, nice on paper experiences prior, there was no reason for staying to accept us in that we didn't really fit the mold of tech entrepreneurs. So we, yeah. got, we got a no. So we had to go back after a few times, find ways to actually make it happen, create a team, develop a prototype, launch, get some traction. And after getting some traction, then we qualified as 
well, obviously those guys are driven enough to be part of this clique of you know, exceptional entrepreneurs. And so we got in. Yeah. So what was the hardest part in that whole process? Well, you know, of course, when you, again, because you want that external affirmation, the moment the door, you know, is slammed in your face, it's, it's easy to believe that, well, perhaps, perhaps this is not something for you to do. Maybe you should go back to what you do best, which is consulting. And I think you can, you can copy paste that thinking throughout the journey. You know, you are going to get a lot of doors in your face constantly. You're going to fall and fall and fall over. But if you are only looking for outside confirmation, you are going to be wanting to quit very often. So, you know, the beginning is really, you know, we had barely started at that point. So that was a nice... That was a nice wake-up call. And we saw it again over and over throughout the journey. So we learned right off the bat that, hey, this is not as simple as it looked like. It's not that you enter an incubator and you are coached and you, you raise money and life is well and you end up yeah. being acquired. No, 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 no. At the end, you know, they do that for a reason they, and they want to bet their well, they're going for quality and they want to pre-assure from the start that this is something that's yeah, and that will make it at the end. It will be part of the 10%. Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, they edge their bets, right? So like, like a VC or like you buying stocks, you know, spreading your eggs into your portfolio, you, you want to make sure that you have companies that, you know, in different segments, in different industries and placing strategic bets. Yeah. yeah. And in the end, still, even though you get, you know, like creme de la creme, as we say in French, we still end up with nine, nine out of 10 failing so i mean the ratio is is quite yeah it's what it is <laughs> exactly exactly yeah i mean i remember the story and how did it typically unfold where you got introduced to some people and they were talking about their wall with a lot of what is it crying babies on the wall i'm not sure what, what the word was yeah uh, well no no it was babies without parents <laughs> exactly so that's the image it's a very nice metaphor for you know the the, the kind of a lot of people have a lot of ideas yeah. Constantly, I, I guess that's what we do as, as human. We have plenty of ideas, but ideas are cheap. What matters is, is execution. And unless you execute, and how long can you execute once you've decided that you are someone who indeed executes? Yeah. You know, how long can you go? How far can you go? And that's why in this basement of crying babies sitting on the wall, the image is really that you know, plenty of, of youngsters or, you know, whatever kind of people start companies, but they all drop, you know, along the way, people drop, people drop, people drop, and they stand on that shelf as a souvenir of, you know, what, you know, startups that, that tried exactly. and, and did not go all the way through. Exactly. So you made it through the sting. They had an incredible belief in you and you were, you know, you were in the magazines. There was a lot of good promotion on it. You had this big hockey stick at the beginning where people just kept signing up. I mean, as you say in the book, the vision drove the signups, but then people started to abandon because of fear. Yes. So that's a fantastic idea. Nobody wanted to complete it. Exactly. And that's, you know, human behavior in a nutshell. <laughs> it, it is hard. To, so first of all, it is hard to do something that you haven't done before, that you've never done, and that you don't know if you are going to be able to do. 
That's for um, the user perspective, right? It's like the people that actually use your platform to do those challenges. Exactly. It is very hard. And it is, it is even harder when it's in front of the world. Because yeah. if you haven't done it before, now you're committing. You know, there's this well-known fact that if you commit and if you, if you declare your ambitions, then you're going to have this external pressure which will help you achieve that goal of yours. At the same time, it can be, can be tricky because, you know, how much confidence do you have in yourself and self-confidence to put that out and yeah, fail exactly. potentially in front of the eyes of the entire world. Exactly. And so what we saw is that whilst people were signing up and, you know, challenging themselves to, you know, wait, lose weight, start running, stop smoking or whatnot, they would not complete it. They would find all sorts of excuses as to not to do it. You know, they got sick, the kids got sick, they got to travel, not anymore, but they got to travel for work, they were busy on other things, and they, the project just dies off slowly and slowly. And that's very much life in a nutshell. You yeah. set yourself a goal, you're very eager in the beginning, you push hard, and you, know, you may resist a few doors, but then eventually you start wondering whether that thing is actually meant for you and yeah. you give up. And that's, that's people, that's life. Yeah. Even with signing up celebrities to kind of help people a little bit, to inspire them even more, it just died out. And you started yeah. to realize why, why Facebook at the end was, was so popular because it is about couch. <laughs> exactly. Because it's easy. It's, it's, it's way easy. easier to, you know, if you, yeah, it's way easier to sit in front of TV and sort of share what you've been eating last, eating last night and, you know, the yeah. party you are going to go to next week and that kind of stuff instead of, yeah, yeah go out. It's minus 10, but put your shoes on and go running. Yeah. That's rougher. So then you had to realize you had to pivot. So let me see. And this was about yeah, going to the corporate world around the same type of thing, right? So the, the challenge, but then kind of apply to, to businesses. Tell a little bit about like how the, the, the pivot of that vision and what that's, yeah, what that did to you. Yeah, it became quite obvious actually, because so at that point, when we realized that it is a behavioral question, we have built that platform for challenges. And since we come from, you know, change management, the obvious thing to do is to call a few former clients that we had then and ask them, would they not challenge their staff with a challenge platform? Yeah. And of course, the answer is yes, because it makes total sense in a corporate setting. So, you know, a few calls, boom, and we're signing, we were signing contracts and having companies, you know, signing up for challenging their staff to, you know, increase sales, lower inventory, demonstrate core value understanding, align around the next strategic rollout initiative. So it did work very nicely. And this time it yeah. came top down. So instead of you having to involve yourself into something that is uncomfortable, you would have your boss challenging you to do something that you have to do. So the yeah. top down effect made it more of something that you would do as an employee. So it was easier in many ways. Yeah. But still, <laughs> of course, it didn't turn out as it as you'd hoped it to be. But one of the things that, what is it? I mean, you, the vision was, I mean, I like the word, the, 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 to rejuvenate the consulting industry. And 
yeah, to do something different there that actually made you competitive to your old company, which was another thing because you had investors from that company and suddenly you became a competitor. But still, it didn't hold through because at some point in the book, you say sort of flattened out and then people that were your ambassadors started to leave. So what was that? Thing? Was it the same type of human type thinking that yeah. you did again? Yeah, sort of. I mean, what we set ourselves to do then, I mean, the next, the next iteration of the vision was that we would make change cool. You know, yeah. We would make change something that doesn't need to be force-fed to employees, but something that employees would voluntarily you know, engage in because they would have a reason to do it. I mean, typically, you know, if you ask people to do something, they're, they're very reluctant to do it. I mean, it, it needs to yes. come from themselves. So the idea was that as we bring in employees into the, the process of change in an organization, they would more happily commit to initiative And as a result, we would get more traction inside an organization when it comes to that initiative actually being executed as it should be. That worked well. What didn't work, though, is that this is very much a project-driven sort of company. We have that project. We have that client. There is a a start to the project and an end to the execution of the project. And so to get that project would take too much time. And once we would get that project after this long sales cycle, because we're selling to large organizations, we'd had to execute it because of course the client would have paid quite some substantial money to make that happen. And when you sell something expensive, as you know, you want to be, you know, taking care of your client. You don't want to be, it's not a software, click a button and be happy with it. So we would do a lot of customization. We would do a lot of customer relation and, you know, being really consultative in the approach. And that naturally was not the way to scale. There there was a, you know, built-in limit to that. So we could get clients, we could get projects, but it was really not what we wanted to be achieving. We wanted clients like a head of, let's say, HR or a head of sales being constantly using challenges as a way to drive you know, the behaviors that, that they were seeking to yeah. have in their teams. But that didn't turn to be the case because of the so-called challenge fatigue. You know? Yeah, you actually talk about challenges around maladdiction, where executives are leaving and they're working for, for big companies where there's a lot at stake. There's a lot to lose for them. And as a consequence, they it's easy to do something, again, it's easier to do something easy and not that risky. Right. It's the same problem again as with consumers. Well, totally. I mean, it's, it's always, you know, when, when you compete in B2B, and that's, that applies across startup trying to get into the B2B business, is that when you are small and you don't have a lot of backup and you, you start having to deal with IT, security, legal, auditing, and, and be, you know, within the framework of, of that client organization, so first of all, it is not only very labor-intensive for, for a small company, but it's yeah. also very risky for the project manager, for the leader who wants to take you on board because the alternative to you is a well-established company, a Microsoft or an IBM. And as we know, no manager gets fired for buying Microsoft, whereas exactly. they may do from buying from a small startup that may not have all That's the... another one, yeah. 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 So it's, it's tricky to sell yourself in when you are small, but I, I guess we all start small. Yeah. 
Well, that's the other thing in the book you talk about, like the difference between creating traction and having scalability and, and the, sort of the balance that you always try to create. Because it's in my book, I write it about it as well. Remarkable software companies master the art of creating momentum. Right. But with momentum comes indeed like the thinking about is this scalable technology wise, deployment wise? So, what did go wrong in that particular aspect? Well, so yeah, traction versus scalability. It's, you know, you can have a product that you can scale, but the business model may not be sustainable. That's really where we ended. Everything looked perfect. I mean, we had the capacity to host many companies. We had the tech aspect of it was working nicely, but the model in itself was not. And for it to become sustainable, we would have to move away from a sort of a consultative sale type of, of approach to a product-based approach with a per-user license or something like that, which is yet another complexity into the sales process because they're not, yeah, the buyer is not used to the way that you want to have for your product to scale. So, you know, it's tricky. Let me make a small interruption here. Arnett just made a critical remark about what it takes to succeed as a business software company. It's not enough to just build a good scalable product. It's not enough to solve a valuable problem. No, it's also critical to ensure the business model is sustainable and fit for scale. That starts with addressing a mission critical problem. And getting this mix right is a trait that remarkable software companies master. They start by ensuring three key questions are answered with a firm yes. Firstly, is the problem that we solve valuable in the eyes of the ideal customer? Secondly, is it critical on their agenda? And thirdly, can we exceed their expectations? If one of them is no, start over. And this is where the difference is made between creating something that's addressing a nice to have problem versus something that's mission critical. You can master these traits as well. I have various options for you to start. Just go to valueinspiration.com to learn about the masterminds and the work streams to put the fundamental building blocks in place to fast track the growth of your software company. And as you're there anyway, don't forget to grab a free Kindle version of my book, The Remarkable Effect, to start sparking new inspirations in the next 30 minutes. Back to the interview. So what did you learn from that? Because you need to talk about the value-based pricing concept. Yes. Was that the killer of scalability? Yeah, probably. Because the moment you start selling value, you need to put man hours, in my view. That goes away from the, it's a bit away from the type product sales type model. So we were sort of an hybrid where we would sell value, we'd try to sell value with a product, having a tech platform and having consultants. So it was very, very tricky to navigate. And that's yeah, where... That's a, very, that's, that's a critical decision to make. I mean, are you selling services powered by software or are you selling software whereby services are there to just ensure it ends up running? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that, I guess, yeah, I think you need to try different iteration and see what works best. And after trying for, you know, a few years, we were not successful to the extent that we had envisioned. And that's where we decided to do a third massive pivot. Exactly. Yeah, true. Because, I mean, the book you... The way you write it, you know, you can almost feel the pressure, like four months runway, four months, three months runway. You can almost touch the end. <laughs> and every time is that another round again to try to convince 
funders, investors. And for this particular one, where you, where you really wanted to go and kind of pivot again, you went back to one of your old investors and they said okay. no. <laughs> so at the very end, exactly. So we did another pivot in between. We expanded because we realized that our model was not scalable. We expanded into a sort of a internal. So we added features. So instead of being product niched, like you know, challenge based, We moved away from that and slowly developed the platform to an extent that it would become an internal social platform. So we, you know, it was quite interesting because that was prior to the social, the ESN, as it is called, like Enterprise Social Networks. So that was in the very beginning of that era. And the only way we had found to pitch that value proposition was to say that, well, think of it as Facebook but internally, like you, we are your internal Facebook. And in that way, people could understand what we were after. So yeah. we were that you know, central communication for all departments of the organization to have a, a social feed and be able to share and discuss yeah, basically what you know today as, as being workplace. And after struggling and getting some clients again, we went all that circus again, Facebook announced that they were going live with Workplace. Yeah. And hence, to, to piggyback on your, your first line, which is from Facebook to Facebook. So that's the whole storyline of the book is that we started to go after Facebook into B2C. And then eventually it caught, us, caught up with us and we got killed by Facebook at work exactly. after, us, after we had started that niche. Yeah. It's a fascinating story and I mean everything in between all the details there. Yeah, it make you think and make you reflect about like are we on the same path at the end if you're running a startup at the end. What I'm always trying to kind of figure out like is for each of those companies that you were, because there were three companies at the end. Yes. Uh, or three versions of companies. Was it was the problem that you were solving clear enough? Or maybe it's turning it out. Was it more a was the thing that you were trying to solve more a nice to have? or mission critical? Yes, that's a very good question. Yeah, I mean, the last thing you want to do is, is a nice to have. You need to find a way to be a mission critical product or service. Or I think that's the battle for, for every startup is to become that thing that everyone uses, not just once because that's no traction, but yeah. over and over. You, you need to have stickiness as it is called. Yeah, true. Right? So... Yeah, I write about this in the book. You can ask the question to yourself whether you actually know what you are doing. You know, if you look at yourself in the mirror, you can ask the question, are we really knowing what we are about? And maybe there's no answer to that because that thing keeps evolving based on the customer feedback, based on the environment feedback that you are getting over and over. It's really about the process of understanding who you are and the value that you can deliver. And hopefully, eventually, that, you know, all that feedback, all that knowledge that you acquire along the way gets you to a place where it matches both your competencies, the competencies of the team, the vision that you may have, and what the market is after. And that's where yeah. the magic potentially happens. But as we know, it happens for very few of us. One out of 10. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if you look at all the things that happened, seven, six, seven years in a row, 
Yes. What has been the hardest thing in that whole journey? The hardest not to crack? Yeah. I think it's the ultimately what is left is this, the belief in yourself. Do you, I mean, do you have enough in the tank to keep going? And that, I think, is at the core of what the entrepreneur journey is about. Because there are so many reasons for you to give up every day, every day. <laughs> and so unless you are really animated by what you are doing and you really believe in what you're, that you are solving a key problem and that you, no matter what happens, you keep going at it. And even if you have to change direction and, and perhaps to, to 180 degree change, you still are able to gather enough passion around that new vision that you create that you keep going. And that is very hard because obviously as a self-reflection, and I touch upon this in the book, it's sadly, it's not just about you. It's no, about true. not only everyone that is involved in that thing, I mean, directly like your team and whatever is going on on their personal sides, but also everyone that you have collected along the way, True. your investors, your supporters, your family, most yeah. importantly, right? What happens around creates so much pressure that it gives you further reasons to not continue. And yeah. so I think it, it really takes courage and really self-belief that you are here for a reason and you will achieve that. And as it turns out, again, you may not. And, and that's okay. So that's the kicker in the, at the end of the book is that well, you know, whether you succeed or not, it's not really the point. The point is you should enjoy the journey as opposed to you know, just going after the, the destination and the reward. Very yeah. true. Right. Yeah. I mean, have you got any... I mean, how do you... Well, you, do, you talk about a couple of very important things like belief, courage... Because at the end, you're responsible for so many people in that whole network around you. What is then fundamental thing that, that you keep coming back to that you say, okay, this, it's worth it? Yeah. What, what do you need to have in place in order to, have to, to be so strong in there? Yeah. I think now I've, I think I've nailed it to one thing is, or a couple of things, but one would be resilience. You know, so self-belief, resilience, Yeah, you have to have it. You have to, and, you know, I didn't have it when we started. I mean, to, to some extent, because I wanted to be an entrepreneur and I had started a few things before. I mean, it's not that I woke up one day and decided to go attack Facebook. I was, you know, very entrepreneurial in my ways. But yeah, maybe it's built in. I don't know. You develop it. You certainly further develop that resilience as you get hit by adversity. And so what is left in the end is, is really follow something that you are truly passionate about. And you often hear, you often hear this thing that, well, I, will, I have to first find my passion and then I will go after it. And what I've learned is that, no, you go after something that you believe you are, that you are passionate about today, but make no mistake, that passion will probably change over time, right? You get passionate about other things and that's okay. Yeah. And you need to constantly go after that new passion and that, that what keeps you going forward is this idea that 
yeah, I'm doing something that I'm happy about, I feel good about, and that keeps me waking up. And I think in the end, that's what is left, you know? You don't want to die, or you don't want to be, you know, 19 years old and regretting not having done the thing that you, was, you were then passionate about. So it's not about really, you know, making it big or whatever the outcome in terms of financials may be, or it's really about, I've got this burning desire to do this because I, at the core, this is me. Hence, I'm going to go after it because if I don't, I will regret not having done it for whatever few years I have left when I'm looking back at my life. So that's really where I am today. Do the yeah. things that you really want to do, which is why I decided to also, it's part of the reason why I wrote the book. You know, it would be utterly stupid for me to leave all that knowledge on the table and, you know, don't have anyone being able to leverage it. So that's my, you know, sort of a giveaway. True. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's for sure. If you look back at the whole journey, if you'd known all of this before, yes, you read the book of someone that's called Arnau. Yes. And you're, you're at the point that you want to start something. What would you do different today than you did Well, that's not, maybe that's, that's like kind of corner peel up. But what would be the one thing that you say, okay, but this is what I would definitely do different? Yeah. So first, if I had read that book, I would have gained, you know, so many years of you know, knowledge. Yeah. So I would, I would be richer going in. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't have to think, you know, things that I've been thinking along the way. But I think one thing I should have probably done, we should have done as a team is stick to the one thing we were after initially. And that one thing may not have been the first iteration where we went after Facebook, but probably the second, because as I look at it today, it's not that I've spent a lot of time digging into whether that application that we're trying to be exists today. So if it's not, and if one of your listeners is going after that, go for it, because I think there's a market there. But I think we should have stuck to that and persevere to prove the case. Maybe we would have fallen before we did and didn't raise you know, more rounds, but at least we would have gone to the very end and perhaps we would have created a business that would have been somewhat scalable, maybe not as much as we would have wanted, but yeah. at least we could have made a, you know, a good living out of this. But again, the question is back to the, what is it you want to do? And our vision was to create a platform that would scale and not being a bunch of consultant with a tech tool in the yeah. backpack and sure. that's where we, we we chose not to do it so it, it really depended on i think what you want to do as a person and as a team yeah i think indeed if i read the book if i and i've read the book if i look at it again the vision between the b2c b2b was still sort of the same it was about challenges and kind of setting people up for for bigger success and in the third iteration it weakened yes And it is also driven by a customer that has been done the challenges, but wanted to something else and kind of getting that contract to solve your three months runway. And that's, of course, that is something that I see a lot with B2B software companies that they become short-term driven and then end up with a contract where customers, where they sell themselves a story. Yeah, but the customer is paying for this and we can sell this too. Correct. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's painful. It's painful. But yeah, it's reality. And so thanks for putting it on paper. 
like I wrote my book, The Remarkable Effects, just to put them together now, kind of blending like your knowledge with the topic of that book. Having been an entrepreneur, having gone through all the hoops and loops, what do you believe are key traits that a company needs to have in order to create software that people just keep talking about? Yes, yeah, something remarkable. I love the Seth Godin definition of being remarkable is being worth making a remark about. Exactly. So <laughs> to do that, you need to do something utterly different. And we, you know, we all want to find similarities again for, I guess, external affirmation, confirmation of, of what we are doing is actually existing in a market. But I think that if you do something that is totally new, I mean, totally new, which is a hard thing to do, obviously, but you're setting yourself for more success because. Yeah, because you are inventing something totally new and then you're passionate about and people are wowed. You create that wow factor. But to be another Me Too product with a, a, little, a little feature on the side, a little you know, price differentiator, a little something that is not worth the change because yeah. at the end of the day, I mean, if you have, right, if you have a tool that is already set into your Chrome or set into your Microsoft Office, what's the likelihood of replacing that thing that is already being used by millions of people? Yeah. Very, very non-likely, unlikely. So in order to do that, you really need to do something that is unique. And that's, that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, it is a tough one. I call it a habit. You know, it's something that you just ingrain in your, in your culture and start looking for it and challenging yourself around that particular thing. Good point. I like the way you put it there. Let me see one more question. I mean, if you had to kind of give one do and possibly one don't to CEOs out there that aspire to create something remarkable as well, what right. would it be based on what you've learned so far? So to CEO of, of you mean an established company or, or like younger? Could be an established company that want to step up and do something radically different again yeah. or, or startup entrepreneurs in themselves. Yeah. Good question. I think for CEOs, when you put that, I very much like the discussion around innovation in, in large organizations, because this is something I've been working with and, and trying to crack for some years. And every organization wants to bring in the entrepreneur mindset, this idea of you know, battling and, and trying hard and fighting and being agile and having all those ideas and you know, yeah, working agile as a team and so forth. But no one is really keen to have the conversation around failure. And I think you can't have innovation if you don't have failure. That sounds obvious. But <laughs> if as an enterprise, you don't have a culture that supports you know, the discussion around failure, which means that in practice, a leader should allow failure and use it as a you know, template or springboard for that discussion to improve on the next iteration. So unless you have that willingness in leadership, which obviously if it comes from your leader, it needs to be cascaded throughout the organization. So unless you have both, yes, we go for innovation, but at the same time we recognize that failure is important. Well, you are not going to develop anything new and fresh. You're just going to be dying over time because you are unwilling to accept that it does take a lot of trials and errors and failure to produce something meaningful and something remarkable. So my take would be 
let's learn from startups, let's learn from failure and have that conversation because there's really hidden gems in the, you know, the knowledge acquired by all the guys like me who've tried and failed. And, and those guys should be consulted to large organizations, I think. Well said. I think these are nice words to round it off with because I, I completely agree with this. And it's, it's, I think it sums up everything you said in the book. So where can people go to find your book? How hard can it be? Yeah. <laughs> and well, where can people fun. go to, yeah, to connect to you and get you leveled up for a keynote or Absolutely. consulting? Yeah. yeah, so the book luckily is not as hard to find. So it's available everywhere, you know, every major platform, Amazon, yeah. locally, you know, across markets, really. I've been really happy and had the luxury of being endorsed by some serious authors and professors and serial entrepreneurs. So it's something I'm, I'm very proud of. It's available everywhere. Otherwise, on my book site, howhardcanitbethebook.com. As for me, I'm you know, happy to connect on LinkedIn, which is the, the platform I use the most. Not Facebook, but LinkedIn. <laughs> and yeah, look forward to be in touch with as many entrepreneurs as possible and leaders in organization and hopefully bring that discussion of failure you know, to the surface and in doing so, trying to turn around the success to rate failure of startup tomorrow going forward. Thank you. And this ends my conversation with Arnaud. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Arnold Hennefield Wetholm, author of How Hard Can It Be? As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, Share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book, or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.